Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it must have been a, a tough summer for weddings, don't you think? I read that at least a third of them had just simply been put on hold. Uh, some were held drive-by style. Uh, more than a few were Zoomed, although there's evidently a, a legal question there. But when the officiant or the pastor is logging in uh, you know, long distance, uh, the current laws don't take current technology into consideration. I even found a, a site that talked about uh, etiquette for a Zoom wedding. You're supposed to get all dressed up just like you were really going in person. Uh, maybe swap out the, the dress-up shoes for slippers, but definitely no sweats. Uh, and then someone came up with the idea of a commitment ceremony as a stopgap replacement. Have you read about that? It's an exchanging of vows from the comfort of your living room on the day that you would have had your, your real wedding and then while you're streaming it to your friends and family. Uh, it's really more like a pact between couples to, to uh, someday marry officially down the line. I always thought that's what an engagement was, but I guess you could even uh, Uber a slice of commitment cake to all your virtual guests after. The pandemic has caused another big problem for the newly hitched or newly committed couples, the honeymoon. There's just been no chance to fly somewhere exotic, right? Many of those places were closed. And so people came up with, what else? The homey moon. You decorate your house like, a, like the destination you were planning to go to. Uh, for example, a tropical honeymoon, you could make uh, cheesy uh, palm trees out of paper and flowers out of paper and, and dress up in a couple of, of loud flowered shirts, mix up a pitcher of umbrella drinks, and there you are, just like being there. Sure it is. Sure and take plenty of pictures, right? The real trip is simply postponed. Um, I never had the experience of actually having to plan a wedding myself. I was just told when to show up, but from what I read, it does seem like a very complicated affair, um, and there's no end of, of ways that things can go oh so wrong, right? A newly minted Minnesota bride and groom's uh, story went viral when they billed a, a no-show couple $75 for two fish dinners, including tax and tip. Uh, it came with a note asking for reimbursement along with an explanation why they were a no-show. Well, the couple had RSVP'd. Um, they did intend to go, but their daughter got sick at the last minute and there was no babysitter available. Um, it was also a no-children affair, so they couldn't bring her along. Uh, it happens, but the bride wasn't so understanding and it sent them a bill. Well, the bill couple reacted just about like you'd expect these days. They posted it on Facebook and they received 6,000 responses, including a request for an interview from CNN. I don't imagine those couples will be exchanging Christmas cards this year. In another no-show story, a woman's Facebook post went viral in 2018 when she ranted that out of 150 invites, only nine guests were willing to, to spend $3,000 to go to Thailand for her destination wedding. She changed the venue to Hawaii, which was $1,000 less, and only seven guests confirmed. This is what her post read. At the risk of sounding entitled, I have to vent today. When we invited our friends to our destination wedding in Thailand, only nine people RSVP'd. Out of 150, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Okay, I get it. Paying three care to share my special day is too much for some of you. 
I'd pay for yours, but whatever. But then when we changed the wedding to be in Hawaii, so it's within everyone's reach, only seven of you RSVP'd. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> it costs less, but less of you want to come. Is that what you think of us? You can't spare 2K to come and share our happiness? I'm tempted to just elope and not let any of you be a part of our happiest day. This is it, guys. You have three days to respond to our evites or we're deleting you off Facebook and good luck keeping up with our lives then. And don't get me started on the registry. Only the cheap stuff is gone. I swear I thought we had better friends. We're asking you to reconsider. <laughs> you know, I don't, somehow I don't think it's the money that's keeping your friends away. <laughs> Jesus tells a story today. It's about a, a, a king and a wedding and a feast. But what it's really all about is, is passing up a chance to get connected to Christ. This morning's gospel is the third in a string of parables Jesus began uh, sharing last week with the chief priests and the Pharisees. It was early on in Holy Week, uh, probably Tuesday, uh, the week that would uh, culminate later on in Good Friday. He introduces this one by telling them a story they can relate to the kingdom of heaven, he says. A story about a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. It's a real pull out all the stop shindig. No expense was spared, just like God's grace. No expense was spared to secure our salvation. The invited guests were just that. They were guests. Nobody had to come early and peel potatoes. Nobody had to uh, bring a jello salad for dessert. They didn't have to buy a ticket or pay a cover charge at the door to get in. Everything had been taken care of in advance. Just like God's gift of salvation, the king's party was a free gift. He simply wanted everyone he invited to share in the celebration of his son's marriage. All they had to do is show up hungry. Well, but that turns out to be the problem. Nobody does. I don't mean that no one showed up hungry. No one showed up at all. So they'd RSVP'd. They said they'd be delighted to come. I mean, who would ever turn down an invitation from the king, after all? And who would want to? Out of all the people in the kingdom, he'd invited them. He'd chosen them, and that made them special. When the feast is ready and the king sent out his servants to, to tell all the, the invited guests that it's dinner time, every one of them begs off. Nobody shows. The servants return with nothing but some horror stories about how badly some of them were treated, disrespected, and even worse. When you receive an invitation from the king, it's a bad idea not to show up. Even lame excuses are no excuses. Facing an empty banquet hall, his majesty's mood swings from panic to disappointment, finally all the way to rage. And it doesn't help to find out that some of the servants he'd sent out to announce everything was ready had been treated pretty badly. Shamefully, Jesus says. Others, probably the more insistent of them, uh, were actually killed. Well, the king can't believe it. He, he, Jesus says the king sent out his troops to kill the ones who murdered his servants and then burned down their towns. Holy Toledo. The worst payback that psycho destination bride we talked about could think of was to unfriend her guests who refused to come. Good thing she hadn't read this story first. I suppose that made the king feel a little better, but it didn't solve the problem of what to do with all that food. And so here's what he does. He sends out more servants, telling them, in essence, to you know, go out into the streets and bring in the prostitutes, go into the alleys and gather up the homeless, the, the beggars, the addicts, empty the missions and the soup kitchens, bring them all back here. 
Don't discriminate. Round up the good and the bad. The main thing is that this lavish feast is enjoyed by someone. Well, before the evening's over, the place is packed to the rafters with, with people who, of all sorts who just can't believe their good fortune. People who only yesterday were fishing through a McDonald's dumpster looking for uh, something to eat, a half-eaten cheeseburger even, or gorging themselves on, on prime rib with all the fixings. Now in this parable, remember parables are, are stories Jesus told that have a, a spiritual uh, message to them. The invited guests in the story represent the Jews. They were God's chosen people since they ever first became a people, back all the way to Abraham. And they were to be that shining light that would draw the Gentiles to Christ and God's kingdom through their witness. But just like the invited guests in Jesus' story, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And even worse, as God's son. By rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting the Father. And in doing that, they were rejecting everything the Father was offering them. The invitation to feast with him forever in heaven. Well, remember, this conversation is taking place early in Holy Week, uh, the week that would culminate with uh, Good Friday, Jesus' crucifixion. It was supposed to have been a relationship that, that, that it was finally fulfilled in the biggest dinner party ever at in the, in the, the banquet table of the Lord in heaven, the one described in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. But that's not all. Because when you had dinner at the palace, you were expected to, to dress for it. The king had provided everyone with clothes suitable for the occasion. There's a passage in the book of Revelation where the apostle John uh, describes uh, this scene from his vision. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the God, our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God's A-list is made up of God's chosen people, the Israelites. It was when the A-listers turned him down that the invitation went out to everybody else. Now we Gentiles, people who are non-Jews, would have gotten an invitation anyway eventually. Jesus did die for the sins of the whole world, for everyone in the world, all the people. And that was a message that was to have been uh, proclaimed to the rest of us by his chosen one, the Hebrews. But when it didn't happen, God cut out the middlemen. He cut them out and he cut them off. God's grace had been poured out on the whole world through Christ Jesus, whose life and teachings were an invitation to follow him all the way to that banquet in glory. And it would have been a great happy ending, but the story isn't over yet. Luke's account, which was written to a Gentile audience, simply says that if you turn down the king's offer, you'll never get in. doesn't matter if you're on the A list, the B list, or the C list. But in Matthew's version of the story, there's that part about the undressed guest. To get this last part, you have to understand that Matthew's gospel was, was directed uh, mostly at the, at the Jews. It's filled with references to rituals and uh, uh, rules and laws that, that they would have understood. 
And the Jews back then would have known that it was a custom for, the, for a good host to provide suitable attire for his guests if necessary. Now, both versions are bursting with the, the king's or, or God's grace being freely poured out, and both make the point that he's willing to pour it out on people who are deserving and undeserving, like you, me. It doesn't matter whether you get your McDonald's cheeseburger from the drive-thru or the dumpster to God, but no matter who you are or what you've accomplished in this life, God owes us nothing. Now, the Jews' idea of salvation was based on a, on a good life, on keeping all 613 laws uh, to, uh, to the best of their ability and, and, the, and all the various interpretations of all those laws. And then and they just hoped. You know, they hoped that a good life would be good enough to please a merciful God. But God sets his bar at perfection. It takes a perfect life to get into a perfect place like his home in heaven. And all our efforts are imperfect at best. And that's a nice way to put it, right? And yet in spite of our shortfalls, God still invites us through his word and sacraments. How do we reconcile that? How do we put that together to make it work? Well, it's all about the wedding clothes. See, Jesus is talking to Pharisees here. These were church leaders whose job was to lead their people from a life of spiritual death to a new life of faith in the Messiah who, by the way, was standing right in front of them, albeit unrecognized, because he didn't ride into town on a white horse proclaiming death to Roman tyrants. Jesus didn't fit the bill. You know, he didn't fit their expectations. He fit the prophecies perfectly. Um, but beyond the prophecies, the Israelites, and particularly the church leaders, had put together a picture in their minds as a sort of, uh, of a sort of knight in shining armor, a conquering Messiah. Jesus had just ridden into town uh, a couple days before, on Palm Sunday, on a donkey. Now, as Matthew tells it, as the king was uh, moving through the, the, uh, his party, uh, the, uh, greeting everyone, uh, he, he looked like a congressional candidate, sort of shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, uh, accepting the, the thanks and the gratitude of all the people that were there. When he comes across a guy, it looks like he's just crawled out of a sewer. Frankly, spoiling the atmosphere for everyone else. How'd you get in here dressed like that, he wants to know. Well, the man was speechless, Jesus says. The, the pig in a blanket he was working on dropped right out of his mouth. Well, that's not in there, but sort of. And so this gracious king who's just opened his home to just about, just about everybody in town who isn't anybody has him picked up, tied up, and dragged outside into the night. And we think to ourselves, What's that about? You know, how could such a gracious king suddenly do a 180 and turn into Attila the Hun? Now remember, Jesus was preaching to a tough crowd. But it's always been a tough crowd, isn't it? Whenever, whenever God's people try to share his message of salvation, it still is. Because before a person can grasp their need of a savior, they have to admit that they're a helpless sinner and therefore under God's condemnation. And who wants to admit that? Not everyone, hardly anyone. That's why Jesus concludes, for many are invited, many are called, he says, but few are chosen. In the story, the only acceptable tire represents the white robe of Jesus' own righteousness for us. The one we get wrapped in at our baptisms, or the day we first come to believe in, in him and, and his gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. 
That's your free ticket to the heavenly banquet. And even Isaiah is talking about this morning. Your street clothes, your business casual, uh, even a tuxedo or a formal gown won't get you in. Not at all. The best life you can live won't get you in. In accordance with our sinful natures, Isaiah tells us elsewhere, all of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So we can do good, we can even do very good, but not perfect. And so Jesus came to be perfect for us. And it's his perfection, that, that robe of his righteousness, and only that robe which we put on by faith, that will get us into the eternal feast. That's the only acceptable attire. And it's God's free gift to you. It's what John saw in his revelation, the, the culmination of a relationship between Christ the bridegroom and his bride, the Christian church. By faith, we put on the robe of Christ's righteousness, which covers all our sins. See, once you understand your sinfulness, you'll never understand why God would send you an invitation in the first place. An invitation to become a son or a daughter of the king. To have a place at the wedding feast in paradise. But he does because he loves us that much. It's a love that's so undeserved, an unconditional love beyond our understanding. One we can give thanks for and hope to model in a way that, that others might see just a, a little bit of it in us maybe. And then discover the joy of knowing God's love, of finding a place at God's table themselves. May God bless us in that effort. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts, your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's continue with us.